Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. You are listening to episode 87 of the Lean Blog Podcast for March 30th, 2010. Our guest today is Stephen Spear. We're going to be talking about lean and healthcare and some of the impact that uh, Toyota's quality problems uh, have had in people's thinking um, about the applicability and the adoption of lean methods and the management practices in healthcare. So an interesting chat to come. I would invite you uh, to visit my blog at leanblog.org. You can find past episodes of the podcast at leanpodcast.org or leanvideopodcast.org. And you can also follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash leanblog. Thanks for listening. Well, I'm happy to welcome back uh, to the podcast, uh, Stephen Spirit. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thanks for having me on. Sure. It's great to have you back. And listeners, uh, I'm sure know of you from your book, uh, your outstanding book, Chasing the Rabbit, which is due to be re-released in May under the uh, new title, The High Velocity Edge, and uh, from Steve's blog and um, HBR articles and Bloomberg appearances. I'm sure you've seen and heard um, Steve before. But we're going to talk today about an upcoming workshop um, from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, um, How Market Leaders Outpace Competition, High-Velocity Healthcare Organizations. So, Steve, I was wondering if you could tell us about that workshop, um, what people would learn. What is a high-velocity healthcare organization? Sure, I'd be happy to answer all those questions. So the workshop is going to focus on a basic point, which all of us who've been in the thick of improving healthcare over many years know which is that it's very possible to move the needle quite significantly and simultaneously on quality of care access, so not only higher quality, but for many more people, and all the while reducing the cost of providing that care, whether it's uh, measured uh, in a per-unit basis or an aggregate basis. And all that comes while making the work of healthcare professionals easier. So higher quality for more people at less cost with less overburden than healthcare professionals. The point of the workshop is to uh, assemble people in Scottsdale. This is in uh, April. Uh, And primarily two groups of people, those who lead organizations from fairly senior levels, uh, chiefs of medicine, presidents, CEOs, COOs, chief nursing officers, and folks like that, who are challenged with the uh, the daily uh, responsibility of improving across that spectrum of measures, uh, quality, access, affordability, and staff overburden. The other group we are uh, particularly eager to target with this workshop are those folks whose day-to-day responsibility is in some form of quality improvement, patient safety, continuous improvement, Lean Six Sigma. There's many different titles, but they all address uh, different words to describe exactly the same role. The people who are supposed to be the subject matter experts on process excellence and bring that subject matter expertise into their organization. So you're teaching about how to engage and, and bring in that internal um, expertise. Uh, I was wondering if you also touched on, you know, I think one of the themes that came out very strongly in your book was the idea of learning and, and uh, from other industries. So I was wondering if you could touch on you know, some of the ways that healthcare can learn from examples of high-velocity organizations and their practices um, from outside of healthcare. Sure. So, One of the things we're going to continue to emphasize uh, in in this workshop, we're going to provide a lot of emphasis in this workshop, is the idea that it's possible to achieve very, very high levels of performance uh, in healthcare, quality access, affordability, and staff overburden of the measures of concern, but other industries have other concerns. But the point is 
whatever your concern, you can achieve very, very high levels of performance. And in doing so, you'll really set yourself apart from your rivals or your peers. The ability to achieve those very high levels of performance depends on first generating and then sustaining very broad-based, high-speed, non-stop improvement and innovation. And when people hear the word improvement and particularly innovation, it's actually interesting. They come up with two notions. One is that somehow improvement is this very rote application of known tools. kind of begs the question, if the tools are known and it requires only rote application, why haven't people done it already? And then there's the other word, innovation, which often gets interpreted, and I think misinterpreted, as somehow the the kiss of inspiration on the brow of a genius, that somehow someone uh, like your Archimedes steps into a tub, displays his water, and all of a sudden screams Eureka when he uh, understands things about mass and volume. And I couldn't disagree uh, more strongly with either of those uh, conventional wisdoms uh, that improvement is just a road application of known tools or innovation is uh, the inspiration uh, um, entitled only to the genius. In fact, uh, I think there's very, very strong evidence that the ability to make complex systems better is actually rooted in a basic science of systems uh, in terms of how they're designed so that they're predisposed to uh, be improved, how they're operated, again, so they're predisposed to be improved, and then how that improvement actually is carried out with uh, great rigor and discipline. In the workshop, we're going to explore what that basic science is in terms of designing systems to see problems, uh, solving problems to create new knowledge, to take that new knowledge which is discovered through solving uh, individual or a few problems and giving it broad application, and then to this point of leadership and engagement, really hone in on what it means to be an engaged leader in an organization which is trying to get ahead by generating and sustaining this broad-based, high-speed, non-stop improvement and innovation. That's, uh, that's great. And well, I guess one final question for you, um, maybe a little bit outside the scope of um, the workshop. Uh, I'm curious your perspective, uh, you know, talking to healthcare leaders and executives, what their reactions have been to some of the, uh, the recent Toyota quality problems. Are, are you finding that it's at all shaking their belief that um, the, the Toyota-based methods um, or, or lean, if you will, uh, can have an impact uh, you know, in, in their industry? What, do, what are you hearing from them? So the, it, it's a great question. Uh, I would say that um, Toyota's recent experiences around uh, quality uh, may not have so much changed people's opinions, but have brought their opinions into much sharper relief than they m- might have in the past. But we consider con- Toyota's experience, it's, it's quite extraordinary, actually, because Toyota went from being an exceptionally uncompetitive to be a little more crass about it, a, a crummy car maker in the late 50s. Uh, their first product in the United States was uh, something called the Toyopet. It was small, underpowered, and it had the distinction of going uphill more reliably in reverse than forwards. Um, and not only was it a crummy car, but Toyota was terribly ineffective in producing it with uh, labor productivity one-eighth that of its American counterparts. By the 60s, Toyota had uh, closed the gap on of productivity. By the 70s, it reemerged in the U.S. market with small cars which were affordable because of the productivity and exceptionally reliable. And that became the wedge for Toyota to start uh, 
designing, producing, and selling cars uh, of the midsize and large size, then pickup trucks, SUVs, minivans, and the like. And Toyota continued, despite tremendous attempts by others to uh, first study and imitate and replicate its uh, performance, it just continued to run away from its competition, not only with uh, new products, but new brands, uh, Lexus and Scion, for example, uh, new markets and new regions, uh, Europe, Asia, South America, and so forth, and brand new technologies. Um, you know, the, the Prius Hybrid was up to about a million copies before anyone even had something else uh, comparable on the road. So that, so when you look at Toyota, you have to really beg, ask the question, how did they, responsible for such complex work of uh, complex products and complex production systems, how did they manage to generate and then sustain improvement and innovation on a broad-based, high-speed, nonstop fashion over three, four decades? So for the folks who are already looking at Toyota and saying, geez, there's something there we can learn about managing our own systems of great scientific and technological complexity, there's something there for us to learn to get much, much better. I think those folks look at the, the, the current situation of Toyota and say, well, you know, 8 million car recalls is an awful lot, but it was prompted by 17 accidents. And so for them, they keep saying, you know, what this does is it, reinforces the power of this basic science of systems, how to design, operate, and improve systems uh, for relentless betterment. Uh, it, it reinforces the strength of that basic science. Uh, what it also does is call into very, very sharp uh, attention the importance of leadership in maintaining the, uh, maintaining the uh, nurturing, the cultivating, the application of the capabilities to apply that basic science to uh, the work you do. So that's one group. They already knew Toyota had some lessons to learn, and if anything, this just reinforces the importance of leadership and engaging the organization as a whole. And then there's the other part, which always looked at Toyota as, well, you know, they make cars, so we don't make cars, so we're not really, we'll go through the motions of um, acknowledging them. So for those folks, they say, oh, well, look, you know, Toyota stumbled. I mean, they still stumbled to a level of safety far greater than most hospitals in the United States. Then there's the other group which um, looked at Toyota for lessons and thought the lessons were um, more about turnkey off-the-shelf engineering tools, which you could use in a very, very uh, literal fashion to engineer chaos out of systems and engineer stability in. And for those folks, they were never really interested in getting engaged as active leaders, cultivating uh, the skills, the expertise of people within their organizations. So it's not clear those folks, are, their behavior has changed. It's just given them an excuse not to do what they really should be doing. So long and short of it, I think Toyota's uh, experience is over, you know, four or five decades and over the last four or five months has, for one camp, really reinforced their commitment to learning from Toyota and not making uh, the, uh, the mistakes around emphasis and attention that Toyota might have made. And for the other group who wasn't going to learn from Toyota anyway, it's just given them an excuse not to. Um, well, I want to thank you for you know, sharing your, your thoughts and perspectives on that, for telling us about the workshop. Uh, people can go to IHI.org and look under conferences and seminars. It's pretty easy to find um, Steve's workshop, uh, How Market Leaders Outpace the Competition. And could you remind the listeners, um, your personal website, Steve, if they want to um, learn about you, your book, your blogging, all of that? Oh, sure. The, the easiest way to reach me is uh, at the website we've been keeping for the book, and it's just uh, Chasing the Rabbit Book. That's one string of words, chasingtherabbitbook.com. And you'll find me there, and you know, posting about healthcare and autos and other things. 
and uh, it's a forum for uh, conversation about these topics. And uh, just one last thing about this workshop. So, um, you know, on the one hand, we hope that the workshop is of great value for the uh, the leadership and the subject matter experts in process excellence who show up and attend in terms of providing information to them. Uh, our other hope and our great expectation is that we have people who show up and have tremendous opportunity to share each other's learnings uh, based on their own experiences and take away uh, things of great value, insights of great value based on what they hear from their colleagues and their peers. When um, we talk about these high-velocity organizations and identify their capabilities, one of the really great capabilities is this capability to share knowledge gained locally and apply it systemically. And that's a huge multiplier because it means if uh, you, Mark, have a learning, it's not just you've seen a problem, solved a problem, and had one learning. You've seen a problem, solved a problem, and I've learned from it too, and you get this great multiplier. And in Scottsdale, we're really hoping uh, not only to share but to multiply the tremendous benefits uh, that have come from efforts people have made over the last months and years. Well, that sounds good, and, and, and thank you for your work, and thank you for uh, for sharing that with us uh, today on the podcast. We appreciate it, Steve. Oh, you're quite welcome, and thanks for the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.